0: Today's podcast is sponsored by the new Zondervan Comfort Print NASB 95 Bible. Keep listening to learn about the new exegetical preaching blog. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation.
1: Well, you are listening to Mortification of Spin, My name is Todd Pruitt, uh, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Amy Bird and Carl Truman. Uh, We're doing this remotely in in an age of of global pandemics, and so uh, I'm looking at all of these friends of mine over over a computer screen, Um, but uh, we're glad that you can be with us today uh, for our conversation we have a a special guest who was with us once before, and uh, we liked him so much we decided to have him back on. His name is Matthew Barrett. Matthew uh, is Associate Professor of Christian Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, my alma mater. Um, He is the executive editor of Credo Magazine, which is an online theological journal, which is really outstanding. I would encourage you to uh, to check out Credo online uh, for a wealth of great information. Uh, Matthew is also uh, uh, becoming a, a rather prolific author and editor. Um, he, uh, he he looks like he's 19, but I know he's got to be older than that because he's, he's got all of these books uh, that he's written and or edited um, uh, along the way. And uh, it's one of those books that uh, we want to talk with him about today. First of all, Matthew, thank you for being on with us.
2: Well, thank you for having me and and being nineteen, goodness!
3: Uh, I'm just jealous I, that you have all your hair.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. Well, it's, it's, it's bugging me.
3: I'll, I'll get there.
2: Don't worry. I'll, <laughs> it's coming. I can see the writing on the wall. Uh. <laughs>
1: well, you know, my my counsel there, Matthew, is just let it happen. Yes. Um, if you if let you try to cover it up, it just is going to make it worse. And so uh. you just just let it happen. Anyway, uh, uh Matthew, your new book is in uh, a, a really a wonderful series that many of our, our listeners will be uh, uh, familiar with, the New Studies in Biblical Theology series from, from IVP Academic. And the title of, of, of your book is Canon, Covenant, and Christology, Rethinking Jesus and the Scriptures of Israel. Now, f- first of all, you know, it, it, this is an academic book. It's, it's, it's not a thin uh, thing that you sit down on, a, on, a, on an afternoon and read in an hour. But um, I've been... Really encouraged by, challenged by helped by uh, this book, as I have been um, reading it, and I wonder what would you say is kind of your your underlying concern here your your thesis, the thing, if you could sum up uh, briefly uh, what what are you getting at here in this in this book
2: Well, to put it very bluntly i don 't think we read scripture as if we're christians. Mm. <laughs> okay. Um what do i mean by that? Well, it takes the whole book to say <laughs> yes. It, yes in all kinds of different ways and from different angles. But i sometimes i and i've had this experience and and honestly this has been a you know a journey for myself uh, mm-hmm. as as i've learned um uh, I, I we sometimes especially as evangelicals, you know, will sign off on the, you know the inspiration box uh, mm-hmm. as we should and uh and even the inerrancy box when it -hmm. comes to our doctrine of Scripture. But then when we turn around and start reading Scripture, interpreting Scripture, we sometimes act like deists, as if uh, somehow God inspired this word, but um, kind of stepped back, and uh, we forget that, well, revelation and uh, inscripturation was a progressive process in which Mm -hmm. uh, God uh, gave us his people, the canon, but over a long period of time. And he did it in wonderful ways, like through his own covenants with his people. And then most ultimately, and giving us um, uh, his own son, as John's gospel talks about. But in doing that, uh, he didn't just step back and leave leave it up to the human authors. Uh, he uh, not only inspired scripture, but his divine Authorial intent, if we can use a a more Mm -hmm. fancy theological phrase, is fingerprints. We could say are from beginning; they're they're found from beginning to end, so that we can even talk about things like biblical theology or how a a type in the Old Testament comes to fulfillment in the New Testament, Mm -hmm. or or most ultimately in in Jesus Christ Himself. Um, We can even talk; uh, we can get into this more if you want. But there's even uh, when we're focusing on the divine author. Uh, there's, there's even a, a what we might call fuller sense. And by that, we simply mean that uh, there may be more uh, in any particular text or book than the human author may have understood at that moment, yeah. for example, that the divine author intends to bring to fulfillment as this, his story progresses. And as he himself is the ultimate author and yeah. player in this story, then kind of steps into that stage and, and uh, brings everything the
1: well, you know, one of the things you show is that Jesus and the apostles uh, preached the, the, the Old Testament and explained the Old Testament as though, oddly enough, uh, the divine authorial intent was the chief intent to consider. How about that?
2: Imagine that.
4: <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> well, and I like how uh, you explain that. Maybe you can unpack that for us a little bit in progressive revelation, saying that Jesus reads backwards.
2: Yes. Uh, you know, my, my book focuses a lot on the gospels in particular,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, but we could talk about the book of Acts. I was really tempted to, I mean, this really could, uh, could be a second book. Yeah. When you look at, like, since you mentioned the apostles, I'm, I'm using this as an excuse. <laughs> yeah. uh, Peter, uh, yeah. I mean, from Acts three to Acts 13, right? Well, mm-hmm. before the Acts two to Acts 13. Uh, that's exa- how you just describe the apostles reading backwards. They're looking to their Canon the Old Testament scriptures that they know so well. And now that their eyes have been opened by Christ himself, and of course the Holy spirit, uh, they are seeing God's plan like they never had before, Uh, maybe before they were seeing hints of it. But now in light of the life, death and resurrection of Christ, uh, they are seeing it with fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, so all that to say, when we talk about the scriptures, um, it's important to understand that as God redeems his people, that redemption itself is bringing to light his own revelation. And he does that through covenants uh, and and most ultimately the new covenant that Christ cuts with his own blood. Um, And as he does that, the the apostles then turn to the people of God and interpret the word of God for them. But uh, in light of this, of what the divine author has done. All that to say, I think that we should be suspicious and maybe we we've had this experience from time to time. If we hear whether it's a you know a student, a churchgoer, a pastor or or even a professor say something like, well, you know, Jesus, the apostles, they could interpret scripture that way because, you know, they were inspired, but that's right. an exception. Right. It's Exegetical gymnastics—what they're doing—we should not do that. They'd get a D in my hermeneutics class. Exactly. Mm. Uh, you know that might be a little bit of a caricature, but um, but it's out there. And mm. a lot of times, uh, we tend to approach the Scripture as a whole like that, as if the divine author. Didn't plan this from beginning. Right. Of,
1: uh, right. Right. Like how dare the New Testament appeal to Hosea, you know, in, in the, in the way that it does. Everybody knows that's bad hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: you
1: yeah. know, that's an interesting road we've traveled that you'll hear that in conservative circles, oh, right? yeah. that in, in, inerrancy affirming circles, uh, wh- oh, yeah. really peculiar.
3: Well, and I love the way that you kind of, um, take that on Matthew, because you're, you're saying like if we really do believe in the inspiration of scripture, that it is God breathed, um, that that is gonna affect our reading and interpretation of scripture. And um, not only is God the speaker, but he's the interpreter of his word as well. And so we see, you know, and even in oh, how Jesus is interpreting <laughs> the Old Testament, um, he's teaching us these things. He's teaching us how to read the Old mm-hmm. Testament. And I I love how you kind of point to the, the eschatological nature of the canon. Mm-hmm. Like we're not just reading Hosea per se, but within the whole canon of scripture, we need to see what God's saying to us in Hosea. So you kind of throw, being a devil's advocate again, I hear sometimes, um, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about typology. Um, yeah. I hear so often uh, people say, well, That's not real hermeneutics. That's kind of speculation. Yeah.
1: That's using your system of theology. Yeah, bad word. That's a very bad word. (laughs) Uh,
2: Two things, and I I promise I will get to typology, so uh, (laughs) remind me. Uh, (laughs) First thing is in the last, oh, I don't know, four or five decades, when we look at our You know the recent history and those who have come before us, especially in evangelical circles, we have the big battle for the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. And Protestant liberalism was was a a very real threat, Mm -hmm. and rightly so. Evangelicals, you know, bunkered down to defend uh, the the nature of Scripture. Yeah, it's inspiration, it's clarity, it's clarity, and so on, sufficiency. That that's a very good thing. One, one thing I've noticed, though, maybe unintentionally, in all of our good effort to do that, especially in, in biblical study circles, we, we perhaps have so emphasized the integrity of, say, what the human author is saying, or, or so focused on maybe a specific Bible difficulty or, mm-hmm. or even a text of Scripture. Uh, we've so focused on the human aspect that, that we've ignored the, ironically right. enough, right. divine author, and and uh, one consequence of that is we start to get uncomfortable uh, the minute we move beyond you know the human author's experience to what yeah. the divine author may be doing not just in that particular text but across the whole canon to culminate everything in in the arrival of his own son. Mm-hmm. So, I the, the irony here is that. We almost have a, a remnant of a, a type of enlightenment right. presupposition or hermeneutic, in, in which we're approaching the text, claiming to believe doctrinally the right things, but when we're mm-hmm. interpreting the text, we we very much do so almost from a secular standpoint, right. Right. as if we have to prove you know every Bible difficulty or prove every aspect until we can actually then conclude that okay, the divine author is doing something above and beyond. All that to say, you know, we'll come here to typology. Uh, typology. This is something I try to remind my students in the classroom. Oftentimes, people will object to typology, saying, "Well, that's just one hermeneutical method." Um, I, I push back against that, and I and and argue that no, typology isn't just like a hermeneutical tool uh, or an option. Mm. Um, Typology is actually revelation itself. Yes. So whether it's the sacrificial system, uh, prophet, priest, and king in the Old Testament, I mean, we could go on, the list is long. Mm-hmm. When we see Jesus pick up on those very same types and say, I am the bread of life, or mm-hmm. I am the door, or I am the good shepherd, I mean, these are, these are all, or, or when John <laughs> points to Jesus, behold the lamb of God. Yeah. This is all Old Testament imagery, or what we might call typology. Um, it's not as if the New Testament authors or Jesus himself are getting really creative to somehow read Jesus back into the Old Testament, right. and, there, and and thereby justify our New Testament being added, added to it, so to speak. Right. Rather, God himself, through the human authors, as mysterious as it is, has given us these types. Oftentimes they come in the context of his own covenants. And then in his time, these types come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ himself, or what we might call the anti-type. And and what I try to tell people is this, when you look at the Gospels, you're seeing a, a mosaic, a beautiful mosaic, Uh, Sometimes it confuses his listeners. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it infuriates them because they they get it. They understand, oh, he's actually claiming to be greater than Moses, or he's actually claiming to be one with God, Mm -hmm. and then they want to crucify him. But all of that assumes typology, and typology itself assumes... There's a divine authorial intent here across the whole canon, not just, you know, God kind of sneaking in at <laughs> strategic right. points to make sure this thing works out.
1: Right. That's why we say that, that Jesus is organically in the Old Testament. He's not just there as we read him back. And, and, and that explains his incredulity with the experts of the law, that they didn't immediately recognize him because he is so intrinsic in their own scriptures. He's organically there. Yeah.
4: If I could pick up on that, uh, Matthew, one thing, that your book reminded me of a book that I was very helped by as a younger Christian, and that's John Wenham's Christ and the Bible. Oh, yeah. Which I found, you know, it's a much more, it's a much less scholarly book mm-hmm. than your work, but was a very, to me as a young Christian, it was very helpful in bringing out the, the connection between Christ and the Bible, between a, what I, you know, we now say Christology and, and scripture. Yeah. You spend some time. You've got a very interesting material on the on, on the sort of the way that our Christology should actually shape our understanding of Scripture. Uh, I wonder if you could unpack that a little hmm. bit for the listeners, for us. Yeah, to me, that after, was one of the, the sort of the hearts of the book was yeah. the, the Christology Scripture connection.
2: Yeah, in all in, in all honesty, Carl, uh, after I, I wrote those kind of those chapters, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm just touching the tip of the iceberg here. Mm. Um,
3: That's the exciting part. Yeah,
2: that's right. Also overwhelming, (laughs) but very, you're absolutely right. Very exciting.
4: So if you could Um, summarize it for us in, you know, like 15 seconds or (laughs) so, without without misleading or oversimplifying. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, uh, uh,
2: Just a couple of points in terms of Christology. Uh, First of all, um, this made me rethink how we approach Jesus and the scriptures of Israel as I call it. Uh, oftentimes when we're, you know, looking to defend our doctrine of scripture, we go to Paul, right? You know, in, in second Timothy and, and, very explicit statement about the nature of scripture. Sometimes when, when we then go to the gospels, we start to panic because mm-hmm. we don't, we just don't see a statement like that from Jesus. Um, I argue in the book, if we see in light of things like the apology and the fulfillment of types in Christ, uh, and in light of what Christ himself is saying saying if we see and read Jesus and the gospels in that context he has just as convictional a doctrine of scripture but it comes out in a very in a very like you said taught a more organic way that said uh, it's not just what Jesus says but who he is uh, so that uh, and, and also what he does uh, so all three of those are important what he says about the canon uh, which which John Wyndham you know he wrote a lot about But I push that further and say, um, also what he does. So as he is, the is he comes on the scene as a second Adam through his own covenant adherence to the canon. That says a lot about what he thinks the canon is, Mm. as he's as he his own righteousness is bringing to fulfillment. But also who he is. I I don't spend a ton of time here, but I do have a chapter in which I just briefly dive into uh, the person of Christ and say, well, if Jesus is who He says He is, the Son of God himself, who, who is now incarnate. If that is true, that says volumes, mm. not just about the canon He's inherited. And you mentioned eschatology earlier, but how he sees himself mm. bringing that canon to, ful- to fulfillment. And so as odd as it might seem, I, I introduce some theology. I talk about you know yeah. John 5:26 and eternal generation. And uh, John 8, John 10, many, many passages from John, especially to say, uh, let's take a, a minute to understand who Christ is, because if, it, if he's right, then the implications for scripture and, and the, the covenant fulfillment of the scriptures is, is significant. Now, mm-hmm. that said, I want to throw in a little qualification here. Um, uh, in the last chapter, I look more to just briefly to dogmatics and systematics. I do warn against, you know, kind of the the Peter Enns types who would look to, say, the hypostatic union as a, you know, a straight across analogy for our doctrine of Scripture. I think there are our problems with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl, you, I'm sure you could go
4: into all these. <laughs> oh yes. I um, vague, vague recollections of reflecting on that at some point in my career. Very somewhere vague. in your memory. Yeah. Um, I do Is that have, guy's name again? I'll,
2: I'll, I'll send you some links. Uh, <laughs> I, I do, uh, I have another book coming out with Baker Academic called the Trinity and the Mystery of Revelation. Uh, that's going to talk about this more from a systematic perspective and the doctrine of God in particular. And, and I'll get into some, the, the weeds there. But even here in this book, I, I touch on how um, uh, we, we shouldn't push that connection too far. There, otherwise, uh, we do harm to both the hypostatic union and our doctrine scripture. You could, you know, like some have done, they've even used it to reject inspiration or in, inerrancy. So I warn against that. And uh, I sort of tip my hat to say, uh, you know, when we look at the nature of Scripture and how it's come to us, it's it has more to do with concursus, uh, God's concursive operation, uh, his his provident, you know, we're borrowing terms from providence here, um, how he works in and through and among the human authors. Mm-hmm. I, I, I argue, even you know, from from the, the Gospels and the New Testament, that's a a, a more appropriate avenue than looking to say the hypostatic union itself mm-hmm. as, a, as a straight across analogy for our doctrine of scripture.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's certainly representative of, of what Jesus believed about uh, the, the, the scriptures of Israel, what the apostles believed about the scriptures of Israel. They wouldn't have been happy with any uh, approach that said, well, this is the divine part of the Bible and, yeah. and this is the flawed human part. Yeah. Uh, that, just, that, yeah. that would have never even been considered by them. Um, so, so why is it then that preachers and scholars who have a high view of Scripture, who fully affirm the supernatural origins of Scripture, they affirm uh, inerrancy, um, uh, end up rejecting? Well, okay. So you you mentioned um, irony earlier. You know, we're warned: don't do allegory. Don't do allegory. And certainly, we want to we want to avoid certain uh, pitfalls. But the irony of of, of, of theologically biblically conservative pastors and scholars end up when it comes to their approach to authorial intent, they end up sounding more like German higher critical scholars yeah. Than, yeah. than, than those who really have a high view of the su- So I was, I, I was, listen, I love this man. I have respect for him. I appreciate him. John MacArthur. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for him. I, disagree with his his dispensationalism but I, I had a strange strange uh deal just several years ago sitting in a in a crowd listening to him talk about inerrancy and then when he he was asked a question about old testament topology and i felt like i was right back in a seminary classroom um uh hearing german higher criticism suddenly as he denied the, the the Christological interpretation of the Old Testament. And he said, what you have to remember is the human authorial intent. That's what you got to go with. And I thought, this is John MacArthur saying that? It was it was a strange thing. So 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 what how has how is it that otherwise men who hold a very high view of the scriptures and its supernatural origins end up sounding like I want to use the word carefully uh, liberals or 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 appealing to the categories of higher criticism when it comes to how they approach the Old Testament. How does that happen
2: well uh, <laughs> that's a, that's the million dollar question um, I have some guesses there's some some fascinating historical observations I think there's much work to be done here, but when we look at our history, our recent history yeah. Uh, you, you know, you go back to maybe uh, when Karl Bart was super. Well, he still is, and, and, mm-hmm. you know, but when he was alive and super popular, um, and evangelicals were trying to figure out what do we do with this? You know, what what, what do we make of this? And you know, it, it's fascinating some of the responses because to this day, uh, Bartians out there they will look at us as you know they'll look at evangelicalism really as a whole, and they'll say, um, you know, for all your emphasis say on human author, we don't think you've actually escaped the hermeneutic of liberalism. Mm. And we sort of go, what? How can, no, what, you know, especially <laughs> since it's them telling us this. Right. And uh, th- then they'll say something like, uh, in fact, uh, we have uh, a theological defense of scripture to make. How about you? Yeah. And, and of course, what they're assuming is you don't. Mm-hmm. And, and what, they're, what they're, after there is, you know, when you look at Karl Barth's writings, He's actually, you know, whether we agree with it or disagree with it, I would take issue with it. But it, at the very least, he's trying to, to connect the dots. Right. Uh, he's trying to say, well, I have, some, I have a Christological warrant here for what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to look at a proof text. or. I think there's some truth to that criticism mm-hmm. uh, that we haven't, I mean, you, even your, what you mentioned, Carl, you know, I mean, when was it, since when, when was that, 1970s? When was the last mm-hmm. time you've even seen a book
4: yeah, right. I think it was seventy two seventy three it's nearly fifty years old that book yeah. there's,
2: pl- there's a plethora of books on Bible difficulties looking at like you were saying Todd, you know what does this human author say was this human mm-hmm. author say i'm not saying those aren't important right Oh, I mean, when was the last time we've saw, seen a book where it said, what does Christ have to do with the Canon right. or God himself Yeah. Um, so all that to say, I think as um, especially coming out of the Reformation tradition, which goes back to the fathers, we are due to give a theological case for Scripture. Yeah. One that says, oh oh, yeah, okay, let's move beyond specific texts or, or even the human author and talk about the canon as a whole, and and take a theological approach. I argue we, there's even Christological warrant from that. yeah. And ironically, we have a stronger Christological warrant for Scripture than I think the Barthian does. That said, if, if any of that's true, then that means well we have to then connect the dots between what we're saying about mm. the divine author in terms of inspiration, and what the divine author is doing right. as he's bringing that very canon to fulfillment. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, social historical, you, you take a guess they may mm-hmm. be better than mine. We have we have not done that, and so then when we come to something like typology, we look at it and think. Well, this is bogus. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Carl, before you wrap us up, though, I did want to say, if you're a preacher or a teacher and you're, you're preaching and teaching through the Gospels, this would be a great book for you. If you're preaching and teaching on the doctrine of Scripture, this would be a great resource for you. If you're preaching and teaching on Christology, uh, this would be a great uh, resource for you. I mean, I was helped already. I mean, I've, I've been augmenting some stuff for a Sunday school class I'm going to be doing on the doctrine of of scripture particularly um in what you write about christology and the canon i was enormously helped for this for a, for a sunday school class i'll be teaching so uh listeners um if you're in any of those categories this is a great great help for you
4: that's that is praise indeed from a man who doesn't normally read books without pictures <laughs> yes, that's awesome this this may be the most important book without pictures that john has ever read <laughs> Indeed, to,
2: to ivp can we put some pictures in there for Todd? Please? Yeah.
4: Goes, no, 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 we that a good call by Ivy P. You tried, you it tried. <laughs> read it. So anyway, seriously, this is uh, an extremely important book probably you 've discerned from the way the discussion has gone. we have barely scratched the surface. This is a very, very rich monograph dealing with a very mm-hmm. important subject and, and I hope will actually uh, spur further studies in this area because I think this you know fifty years since John Wenham did his his relatively popular book mm-hmm. connecting Jesus and the Bible, this is important an important area and Matt, as Matthew is drawing on uh, Uh, plenty of scholarship that's emerged since then, distilling it and presenting in a way that is both deep and accessible to those who are prepared to put the effort in uh, to read it. So thoroughly recommend Matthew's book, Canon, Covenant, and Christology, Rethinking Jesus and the Scriptures of Israel, from uh, IVP, Academic in the U.S., and Apollos, that's the academic imprint of IVP, in the United Kingdom. Thanks very much for joining us, Matthew.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having me on.
4: And thanks also to those of you out there who are listening during this time of plague. If uh, you have nothing better to do with your lives, if you have, if you want a few moments away from the screaming children that are confined in your house at this particular point, head over to our website mortificationofspin.org. You'll find resources there. You'll also find an opportunity to uh, to donate to help keep this podcast uh, up and running, and also an opportunity to win a copy of Matthew Barrett's book, Can and covenant and christology we have a couple of copies of those to give away so please uh, head over there and uh, enter for a chance to get hold of this book if uh, if you don't win this book buy it anyway it's an extremely useful and important contribution to any christian's library particularly pastors and teachers but any thoughtful christian will want a copy of this book In the meantime, all that's left is for me to thank you for listening, thank you for your support, and we look forward to being with you next time.
0: And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... I'm convinced there are things about our
1: previous normal that that need to go back, but are there things that can kind of help us to to, um, navigate a possible course correction? Yeah, we should Uh, ban hugging. Hugging (laughs)
4: is done.
0: (laughs) That interview is next time. Join us then. Have you read the new Exegetical Preaching blog? Online now at exegeticalpreaching.com. Ideal for pastors, church leaders, anyone interested in biblical exegesis. Zondervan Bibles, in collaboration with Dr. Jonathan Pennington of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and his students, provides the content updated twice each month. Find examples of how to exegete a passage for a sermon or for your personal use. To sign up for the blog, visit exegeticalpreaching.com. Sponsored by the new Zondervan Comfort Print, NASB 95, Bible. Discover the difference.